0: Humanize Me with Bart Campolo.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the program. I know, I know, that's not the way you expect me to be. But I gotta tell you, this is a dark time for me. A dark time for our world, for our country. Or maybe it's not any darker than other times. I'm just more sensitive to it. Because I have to be honest, I have been practicing great teeth hygiene. I've been flossing every day for six months, but terrible podcast hygiene. I, I've been listening to the wrong stuff. And I know better. I know I know better. Because I, you know, for me, my weakness is catastrophe. And it started when I was in LA. I listened to that LA Times podcast, the big one, which is about what will happen when the big one hits out there. And I was living there at the time, and and just the 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 sheer magnitude of the problems—not just for LA, but for the country and the world—when that happens, it was just. Unbelievable. And, it, you know, it had all this practical stuff about how to survive in the midst of it. So of course I was running around town telling all my friends what they needed to do and about, you know, go kits and water and all that stuff. And nobody wants to hear that. We're all in denial about that stuff. So I went underground. I didn't talk about it anymore, but I found another podcast. And this one kind of snuck up on me because it started out real sciencey. It was called The End of the World with Josh Clark. I know, should have been a giveaway. But but the trailer I heard for it started out talking about the Fermi Paradox. Fermi was this nuclear physicist at Los Alamos who most significantly developed the world's first nuclear reactor, but most memorably was going to lunch with a bunch of other physicists and they were talking about the sheer number of Earth-like planets in our galaxy you know sort of planets in the habitable range circling around suns um, that were roughly the same as our sun and then they, they extrapolated it out to the 400 billion other galaxies in the observable universe beyond our galaxy which we barely can see any of with our naked eye and he asked a very simple question he said okay if there's so many planets circling so many sun-like stars, and even if a, a tiny percentage of them have developed life, and even if a tinier percentage of those have developed intelligent life, still there would be millions of intelligent civilizations out there in the universe. Why haven't we heard from any of them? Why have none of them advanced to the point where they can reach us or at least send a signal? Where are they? That was Fermi's question. Where are they? And Josh Clark in his podcast, The End of the World, sort of picks up with one of the more popular answers to that question, which is that, sure, probably intelligent life has emerged in other points in the universe many, many times, but if it's anything like us, it develops technology that can destroy itself faster than it develops moral reasoning and self-discipline to keep from destroying itself and so nobody lives long enough to communicate beyond their own little part of the universe nobody nobody can reach out that far because before they can get there they they eclipse themselves and then the podcast goes on and talks about all the different ways it can happen artificial intelligence biotechnology nuclear war you know climate change being the one that is first and foremost, because it's not actually out there in the future. And boy, by the time I got done listening to that podcast, I was, I didn't talk about it very much, but I was really down. And, and, you know, I think we have to watch out for that. Not that these things aren't worth thinking about, but I think different ones of us at different times in our lives have different tolerances and, and, Sometimes all that stuff about the future of humanity or, or even just my own personal mortality, sometimes that stuff motivates me to love people more and to suck more of the marrow out of this life and indeed to invest myself in things that I think will contribute to the resilience of humanity in the face of all these troubles and that will develop communities and people and young people, especially that are, that are able to manufacture meaning and hope out of thin air and are able to build communities and, and, and grow their own food and help each other survive. Sometimes all that doom and gloom motivates me, but sometimes it just paralyzes me. And I think we all need to recognize that sometimes We work best for the future of humanity when we're not thinking about it too much. And sometimes we need to think about it. So for me, it's bad hygiene if I go too deep. And lately, one of my students at USC sent me a doozy. And it was particularly badly timed with all this impeachment stuff and Ukraine and all that stuff. Because uh, I started listening to this podcast called It Could Happen Here where some war reporter who's spent time in Syria and in other places where there were really bad civil wars looks around America and says, you know what? We're not that far from the possibility of an American civil war. It wouldn't take that much for a polarized population like ours with a demagogue for a leader and a big media split to devolve into some kind of civil war and there are forces at work in our society that would relish such a destruction of order and so i started listening to this podcast and i listen i'm i'm not recommending it and, and don't get me wrong the guy is a left wing he, he's got he's got a, a leftist bent and, and this is a problem for me. Even, even as progressive and liberal as I think of myself, I still don't like it when I feel like I'm getting fed the facts in a particular kind of way. And there's a lot of facts. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of just common sense stuff that he's saying that I think is true. And I've read a bunch of reviews of the podcast and they say the same thing. They say, look, there's a lot of believable stuff here if, if, if you can sift out some of his clear, the right is bad, the left is good ideology but uh, it's it's taken me down a bit because it's sort of like when you buy a Volkswagen and then you drive around and you see Volkswagens everywhere. And it's because it's not because there are more Volkswagens all of a sudden, it's because you've been primed by your own situation. And I think I've been primed by this podcast to see signs of trouble in our society and makes me think we got to work even harder to develop the capacity to connect with people that are different than we are. And not just the capacity, but the actual will to do so, because it is so easy to, to isolate yourself these days. I ask myself, how many real conversations do I have with people who think radically differently than I do? And if, 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 you, if you sort of sift out the Christian thing, which for me is easy, but when you get to the Trumpy thing or the, the, the immigration thing or the abortion thing or any of those issues around around which the, 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 the divisions are harder to deal with, I don't spend a lot of time in those conversations either. But I'm, but I'm thinking we need to. Listen, I, I'm not trying to rant. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you why I'm a little bit down. It's not, I, don't, I, gotta, I don't have any great message here. I'm just saying that I think I need to be more careful to sort of pay attention to my body and my sleep and my affect and know when I can handle more of that kind of information and when I need to focus on happy things or good things or constructive things or just things that are more localized and less global in their impact. And so, you know, speaking of which, like I'll focus on the podcast for a second. I mean, there's some beautiful people, beautiful things to focus on here. And in fact, you know, if I think about, you know, who are the people I'm so excited about, like there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, I got the shout outs this week. And I got to tell you, Rex Mobley, Damian Bossy, Brian Olson, Brian Rainey, Jen Greenwich, Phil Milton, and Kelly Milton, and heck, Rory and Lucy Milton. I know the Miltons. They're my pals. David Price, Drew Mahorick, Bill Finley. Has Has anyone supported this podcast longer than Bill Finley? I don't think so. But through a technical glitch, he didn't end up on my list until today. Dave Fitzgerald, you know I love you, Dave. And then, and then you want to go deep. Morris Bird, somebody who was on the show as a guest once and then like started to like the show and now supports the show. And is just doing such wonderful things out there in Southern California. Morris Bird is a wonderful, good man. And he supports this show, and that's because he thinks that the messages that we put out are not all depressing messages, like I just was talking, but are mainly messages that sort of give hope, and that, that that create the sense that even in the midst of really difficult things, we can do things that make a difference for other people we can we have some we don't have total control over our destiny, but we you know the, 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 we will ride the wave, but we, you know we can surf it a little bit, we can steer a little bit within. The clutches of destiny. Marcia stevens Pino, My goodness. I Listen, you don't know Marcia stevens Pino, but I, I met her years ago, and she writes to me often. And all I can say is, is, if in the dictionary there was a representative, a physical representative for the notion of a warm hug, that would be Marcia Stevens-Pino. She is a person who, whenever I talk to her, whenever I get a note from her, I always feel embraced. And Bob Jones. You want to talk about an antidote to negativity. Bob Jones has never listened to any of the podcasts I mentioned to. He would never, he would never do so. He is a relentlessly positive person who just loves people like nobody's business. You you want to know who else supports the show? Josh Strider. You say, wait, Josh Strider. I looked at the show notes. That's the guy you're going to have a conversation with today. And it's true. I didn't know Josh Strider as a YouTube personality, as a cartoon universe expert, as a autism spectrum advocate. I didn't know him as any of these things. He sent me an email. Because he was a listener to the show. And then he supported the show on Patreon. And he said something weird about cartoons. So I looked him up. It turns out this guy, this guy's a big deal out there in the YouTube universe. And he has a very sort of strange niche. Making videos about cartoons. Rating cartoons, talking about cartoons. And it turns out there's a whole community of people out there many of them like josh on the spectrum who find meaning and connection and conversation around these cartoons and and the more i studied up on on josh and by the way if you want to know him on the internet he is phantom strider that's his kind of internet handle his his youtube handle and he's a big deal but for me he's He's one of us. He's a humanizer, and I, 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 I asked him if he would talk to me because I felt like he had an insight into a part of the human family that I don't know very well. And sure enough, he did. So listen, I, I need to, I need to cheer myself up right now, and I want to cheer you up a little bit and give you something to think about that isn't the end of the world. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Play this conversation with Josh, and I'm going to listen to it myself again, because it encouraged me then when we had it, and I think it'll encourage you now as you listen. So this is me and Josh Strider chopping it up on Humanize Me. Hey, man, how are you?
0: Howdy, bot. It's good to speak to you. It's good to speak to you from all the way across the globe yeah down here in australia um, whereabouts were you
1: i'm in cincinnati ohio
0: oh awesome yeah um thanks for seeing me on uh, such uh, um a late hour i mean it's perfect hour for me but i um i know you're speaking to me at like 10 p.m so i appreciate it man oh you're welcome man
1: i actually just got home from school believe it or not i'm in uh i'm in graduate school all of a sudden And my classes go on Monday and Wednesday nights, they go
0: till 9.30. Graduate school. Oh, okay. Um, Are you studying something in particular? or I've never heard of graduate school here in Australia, sorry.
1: Oh, it probably just goes by a different name, but it's like if you're going for a PhD or a master's degree. In my case, I'm I'm getting a, a master's degree in counseling so that I can be licensed and I do a lot of counseling already, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I should probably be actually licensed and trained uh, rather than just going on my 30 years of experience. And I can so, tell uh, you,
0: I can tell you, but um, I, I did a psychology degree at university, and I did advanced counseling. And honestly, you already have had the secret for the past 30 years. You've developed it certainly, and more than many many counselors have, which is that empathy and that sincere interest in others. And that's part of the beauty of what I find in your podcast. So, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, certainly it's uh, great to be qualified and stuff and uh, know the names of um, what we should do. But uh, I love counseling as well. And what you do is already, you know, really good in counseling.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. You know, this is kind of fun for me. Um, Yeah. I've had a lot of people on the show over the years, you know, really interesting people to talk to, but, um, this is kind of a unique thing. Cause like you're somebody who actually listens to the show. Um, and, and, and that's kind of how I got to meet you. And that, that's just a kind of a unique, I've never had a guest who
0: started out as a listener to the show. And so you already know what we do here, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I originally heard you, because uh, um, I was a fan of Hank Green and, oh, Slam, and uh, I heard you guys chatting and I was just, when I listened, I was like, damn, this guy is exactly the kind of mindset for secularity I've been looking for for so long. Cause I've been a, a secular human atheist since I was about 13, 12 and finding a kind person who was secular in belief but still looks for the best in humankind and finding a uh, uh, finding kindness a a good a sense of goodwill within the moment and all those good good things you push it's just it's it's surprisingly hard sometimes to find someone in secularity who like really pushes those um, in their message on humanism shouldn't be that hard (laughs) shouldn't be that hard really so listen, you know why I wanted
1: to talk to you is because I, I got an email from you that had that Phantom Strider name somewhere in it. Yeah. And I was kind of interested in that. So I looked that up and I found out that you're kind of in this whole world that I don't know anything about, but that I think is actually a pretty big world. Um, What do you call... The world in which you inhabit like is it youtube are are you a youtuber
0: yeah um i call it a a a youtuber i guess you know um and there's kind of a niche within that as well where they call it kind of the cartoon critic community where it's youtubers who talk about cartoons who are talking about um you know within youtube it's uh so yeah there's kind of a niche within a niche
1: (laughs) but there's a lot of people doing it isn't there
0: Oh, a ton. And since I started three to four years ago, there's even more than ever. And it's- and, um, I mean,
1: is its is that what you do now? Is it turned into, that's your, that's your full-time gig? That's what you do to make a living?
0: Very much so. Yeah. For the last uh, two, three years or so, I've been uh, doing it full-time. Uh, I get about between 1.5 to 2.5 million viewers a month uh, accumulated across my viewers, not all unique, but- um, it it earns a living, which is, it's just the most wonderful job in the world. I I try to practice a sense of gratefulness, um, which you often uh, discuss yourself on your show. And I think having that sense of gratefulness for what I do and being able to do it and understanding, you know, it could be taken from me, uh, you know, at any time, you know, YouTube's a volatile thing, but so get any job. And so I just try to be grateful for every day. I can keep doing what I love
1: now. So back me up, Okay, mm-hmm. so you're a kid growing up
0: in Australia. Where, yeah. where? Which part of Australia are you? I started in Sydney when I was a kid, and then around ten years old, I moved up to Brisbane, uh, Queensland. And, and so you're growing up in a household with your mom, your dad. Uh, they divorced uh, when I was a kid, and uh, there were a few uh, family problems. You know, mum remarried to a not so good man, and that sort of thing. There were problems there, but. Uh, yeah, for the most part, you know, my mom was a, my mom loved me, my dad loved me, you know, and that's what matters, you know, and I still care about both of them. But, but when you were 10
1: and you go hmm. to Brisbane, are you moving back and forth between two households or are you mainly in one
0: place? Yeah, yeah. I'm jumping between uh, my dad's on the weekends and my mom's and eventually I started living with my dad uh, at 14. So, uh, yeah. And you've got a brother. Yeah. Yeah. My brother Raz. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he used to do, um, I, I mean, yeah. I, I know this because I looked up stuff and, and there were these videos that you did with your brother Raz.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. We used to do let's plays together and that sort of thing. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Um, we don't chat as much anymore because as we get older, you know, I'm, I'm 30 now and he's off in his full-time job and I'm very lucky in my job. I get to choose my own hours and I can have free time if I want. But, um, you know, um, that's part of why I always feel lucky is I see a lot of my family is working full time, working very hard. And, uh, it certainly makes me feel lucky to, you know, have this spare time to do things like, um, chat with you and, uh, you know, uh, do side projects, that sort of thing. So where, where actually do you live now? I'm still down in Brisbane. Uh, yeah, just in the Brisbane area.
1: Okay. So, so what I'm wondering is as you're growing up, are oh. you watching cartoons, like a maniac? I mean, are you a cartoon (laughs) junkie from, from Jump Street or did this come to you later in life?
0: Well, um, it's something, yeah. I remember you mentioning like this audience of cartoons and the subculture and, uh, yeah, I, I was uh, watching a lot of them growing up, but it was something that I retained and I remembered. I uh, don't know if you uh, read, but I'm a Spurgess or on the autism spectrum, as some people know it. And we tend to have certain focused obsessions. And uh, one of my uh, just things I would remember and love, and uh, a lot of my heroes come from cartoons. A lot of um, uh, my role models come from cartoons. That was what I used to model living a better life. And like I'm curious,
1: which mm. cartoons are Australian cartoons
0: completely a different set of cartoons than the ones Americans watch? Oh, honestly, but uh, all our cartoons come from America. <laughs> I'm not very <laughs> proud of uh, proud of the Australian cartoons. <laughs> there's not a,
1: there's not a huge cartoon production
0: line over there. Oh, it's it's a funny thing with entertainment in. Uh, uh, Australia, because a lot of the times when they start to get really popular, you know, uh, Disney or Pixar will hire them up, and they'll be sent over to Southern California, and like so much of the talent gets taken out of um, uh, Australia Everywhere. and uh, taken into America, where where the money is. You know, we're only a population of 25 million compared to a lot more people where you are. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so the cartoons that you were watching growing up. What were and, the what were the mainstays? What were the big ones that you were
0: into? Well, uh, the most popular one that everyone knows is SpongeBob SquarePants, which uh, you know I love to do SpongeBob videos because it's just fun to talk about. You know, he always carries a very positive attitude towards his work and everything he does, and can still be insightful and not necessarily stupid. And uh, the one I started my channel on was Futurama, which is more popular with the adult audience. And obviously The Simpsons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Simpsons has brought a lot of insight to our culture. And I like to talk about those things, uh, the way they've affected our culture.
1: So those cartoons are, I don't like, they they feel like they cover a wide swath. Like even a person like me who doesn't think of himself as a cartoon guy, I've watched mm. an episode or two of The Simpsons. You know, I've, I, I, I know... <laughs> I I, I saw Futurama once in a hotel room and, uh, and SpongeBob, my kids were into that for a while. So I watched it. I actually, I I actually, a guy I went to high school with was one of the creatives on that show for a number of years. So I I had a little SpongeBob insider, you know, actually. But so, so those are ones that I think almost everybody in my audience would be familiar with. But (laughs) when I was, When I looked at some of your videos, like the 10 worst cartoons, um, they were things I I didn't recognize at all. And and some of them I'm like, I'm thinking, these can't be on broadcast television, can they?
0: (laughs) Some of them are indeed or have been or have been taken off. And uh, yeah, it's a matter of what, you know, some would consider not doing much for the medium and for people and turning it into something fun for people by uh, by me critiquing it and talking about it and turning it into something that makes people laugh and hopefully having a good message as well i think we can do something fun with what we would probably consider you know not very constructive cartoons or helpful to people
1: but but the cartoons that the that the community of people that you're interacting hmm. with on youtube these 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 all these views that you're getting yeah. Are, are are they all are 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 they all talking about the cartoons that are accessible on broadcast television or are there whole realms of cartoons that that most of us don't know about but that there oh, there absolutely. are there are these cartoons yeah. being produced that I've never heard of
0: Absolutely um definitely uh there's these when you get into the more the niche cartoons you're looking at some of the Animated movies that aren't done by Disney or Pixar, the 3D animated movies. uh, And, you know, they'll be from small, tiny production companies that maybe only have a uh, 100,000 or 500,000 budget, which sounds like a lot, but consider Pixar and Disney tend to have a budget in their movies of like 250 million. It's quite small. And uh, yeah, um, they end up with uh, creating something very creative. I um, very different to what Pixar and Disney would make yet when you look at them uh, what what ends up on paper is just so inferior to what these 250 million dollar companies can make that um, it's hard to really appreciate them for what the creators were trying to do or not some are just bad
1: <laughs> but but is that stuff sort of the minor leagues where people make that stuff hoping that somebody at a bigger outfit will notice them and call
0: them up? I don't know. Uh, You know, the thing is, is that, uh, the more I started critiquing these animated movies, the more I discovered occasionally a creator of these shows or one of the creators would contact me and say, Oh yeah, I know this show was bad, but, uh, me and my team really wanted to get a message across. And there often is in animation, particularly an earnest message they're trying to get through to say, this is what we want to teach kids. And, uh, I didn't, This isn't always good. I mean, when they have a message, I mean, I did worse religious animated movies once and worse religious cartoons. And uh, as you can imagine, there is quite a few incentives in there. They're trying to get across their audience in a more manipulative than usual way.
1: (laughs) You know, when I was when I was in that Christian community, one of the things that was Mm. this huge phenomenon was uh, the Veggie Tales.
0: Oh, yeah. Veggie
1: Tales. Yeah. And they were really... (laughs) They were really attractive cartoons. I mean, they uh, you know, the the songs were catchy and the messages were really good. You know, some of them were really good and
0: some of them were really horrible, yeah. but they, they 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 all sounded fairly plausible. What um, did you think of the message? I'd love to hear your take on The Veggie Tales and what you thought growing up and how you think it affected people. Well,
1: I, you know, my kids really liked them. Mm. and. So, you know, one minute they'd be singing, you know, where is my hairbrush? And you're thinking, oh, that's you know, fun. And, and, and everybody's friendly and positive. But then I remember they had this one song that still sticks in my head. You know, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger mm. than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman and he's watching out for you and me. And there was this message that they were sending kids like, don't worry. There's nothing mm. to worry about. God will take care of you. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, at the time when those things were happening, I was working in some of the worst inner city neighborhoods in, the, in America and I knew kids who God mm. was not protecting. And mm. I just thought, what, how confusing must this be for a kid to sort of being, you know, having this message programmed in, like God will take care of you. And then the cognitive dissonance when they're not taken uh. care of.
0: And the hypocrisy you run into is just astounding. And it's, it's part of why I understand why atheists get angry and why you do have a lot of groups of atheisms where they just want to reason people rather than speak through emotion. Because when you've grown up seeing this hypocrisy, Your whole life in your cartoons, in your shows, in what your family says—it is really hard to let go of that anger. Like, uh, I have a lot of friends who are gay, and when they've grown up being ostracized and called a sinner their whole life, um, you know, it is really hard to just, like you said when you spoke to Atheists United, to let that go and just say this isn't the best way to get to this person, even though you want to shake their your fist at them and say they're full of crap because. Yeah, what they're teaching can be such hypocrisy, and it's really and it's inter- hard it's inter- to get over that. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: interesting, Josh, because lately, the people that push back on me the most, the place mm. that they push back the most, and I really get it, is they say, you know, your, your acceptance and your ability to sort of um, relate to Christians in a non-hostile way is really beautiful. But what about the indoctrination of children? And Mm -hmm. that's where the cartoon thing – cartoons are such a great tool for indoctrination.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what gets me mad, Bart, is like the – when I see – I could put it aside, but like when I see the fact that they're trying to manipulate children and put these messages into their minds about, as you were saying, God is watching you. The thing about VeggieTales is it they've certainly made it more secular over the years about it's more about being a good person now, but it started off and it, there still is bits of it where they're trying to put these nice uh, vegetables in to kind of indoctrinate these kids at a young age. And, you know. I, I grew up in a very strongly Christian Catholic family, and there's a part of me, even though I've been atheist for 15 years, that still says, you know, well, I create. I did the unforgivable sin apparently on uh, on YouTube by uh, being blasphemous to a wide audience, and like a part of me still goes, oh, I'm going to burn in hell. There's a tiny part of my head that still goes, I'm going to burn in hell for that. And I think so, a lot of the people, perhaps you've interviewed as well, they're still trying to let it go completely, but. There's a part of it when it affects us at such a young age that it's hard to let go of. Um all yeah, my, my, parts s- of it, even my son though says that. Crap.
1: He says, you know, that that the voices that get in your head when you're little and you're too young to fight them off, you know, your parents and other people, they can put such bizarre messages in your mind. And even mm. if you consciously renounce those messages, walk away from them, the voices are still in your head. And so you end up being afraid of a God you don't believe in or yes. you know, w- waiting for help, waiting to be rescued by a God that you don't actually think rescues anybody. But yet there's this kind of gut level thing going on. And I, I, it causes me to wonder, Josh, you understand that there are these evangelical Christians that think, how do we get these kids to buy into this? And they go, I know, let's make some cartoons. Um, Mm. Are there, do you know of any sort of secular humanists who not so much trying to say to kids uh, to press atheism on them, but somebody who's saying, listen, there are values of openness or of of logic or of compassion. Do you feel like there's anybody out there that's making – cartoons that a good secular humanist should be showing to their kids the way that good Christians showed their kids veggie tales?
0: You know, the nice thing is uh, when it comes to cartoons, Bart, we're on the winning side because Disney is basically the god of cartoons. And the nice thing is they're not a god because they don't push um, uh, any sort of religion in their cartoons. A lot of what you'll see in the Disney movies is a it's a push of kindness and diversity. We've essentially got these CEOs in Southern California from a very progressive time who are strong entrepreneurial capitalists. And because of that, we get this very secular message about being kind and accepting others and a progressive movement of diversity that is certainly not the kind of thing they push in a lot of conservative groups that sometimes are Founded within religion.
1: No, it's true. I remember
0: being in churches that
1: don't let your kids watch Disney movies. Um, Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, that they felt that some of the, in particular, some of the progressive messages about sort of women, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as the, as the women characters started to get better in Disney movies, um, Mm -hmm. they, they were nervous about some of the, some of the messages. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, um. Something we have even now is even the new Star Wars movies. There's this weird alt right movement that thinks they, the kind that uses the term SJW and considers that an insult. Um, like where they'll say, like, there is this social justice movement through Disney, and it's like, it's freaking Disney. They're, they're capitalists who just like, they're just doing what is the like intelligent um movement towards inclusive uh, being inclusive of everyone yet like they think there's this big conspiracy going on within disney to um you know get rid of the whiteness and maleness and all uh, you know all these other things because they start to have chinese cast and korean cast and yeah. and and more women as star wars characters. you know, it's you know like,
1: what's I, funny though what i don't see in those disney movies
0: and and, you know, and this that? will
1: sound really crazy but what I don't see in those Disney movies is characters encouraging other characters to make decisions based on the evidence, to mm. um, to reason. You know, there's a lot of magic. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of instinctual love in those movies, but sometimes I think that it would be great and maybe there are where 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 they made movies where there was a sort of a a, a wrong-headed magical thinking going around and and the character that you, you sort of your hero is the one that sees through it uh, and and maybe there are and i'm not i'm not
0: i'm not honing in on the right know. movies You're not wrong, Bart. You're not wrong in that although I do believe in things like relationships, for example, children are encouraged to critical think more than they once were, like the days of Cinderella are long gone. Now, um, uh, you know, from Frozen, uh, Anna has to think very carefully about Hans, who turns out to be a villain, and turns out that the guy she wasn't considering was actually – Um, actually the person who actually loved her. I think there is some critical thinking being introduced going on. But the the thing is, is that I was just looking at religiosity by country, and you've got it a lot tougher than I do where you are. Um, You've got about 66% percent who believes religion is a strong part of uh, their life. And in Australia, we have about 33%. And that number isn't getting smaller for America. And I think because of that, Disney has, groups like Disney have to be very careful about being very subtle with their message to children. And, uh, because there's a lot of uh, parents who will, it's much easier than ever to get on the social media and say, Disney is teaching my kid to question their God. And, you know, to a lot of people, that's still a big issue, that critical thinking that, uh, you and I value so much. You know, there's a lot of, as you know, the American population and a lot of the world that doesn't necessarily want to approach that.
1: Now, now now tell me about because you know we're talking about Disney, we're talking about SpongeBob. These are really yeah. mainstream things. Um mm-hmm. and a lot of people watch these things. But not a lot of people go on YouTube and are fanatically obsessed about them. Just like, you know, when you go to Comic-Con, there are people there that watch Star Wars at a at a much more granular level than I watch Star Wars. Yeah. You're you're with that gang. Like you're hanging with people that are watching these movies and these cartoon TV shows with mm-hmm. with a kind of a I mean, it's their it's their hobby. It's their thing, right? Yeah. Is there any? Are there any generalities that you can tell me about these people?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, generally, the um, group we find who tends to really like cartoons tends to be within the 18 to 30 demographic who like really getting into them. They also tend to be introverted, uh, a lot like me, actually. They tend to be introverted. They're quite often um, somewhere on the autism spectrum. I'm one of the most wonderful parts of my job is I can reach a community who is also autistic. And I, I create my videos to try and be very calming. The old, some of the older ones you wouldn't notice it as much, but uh, my new ones are meant to be much more calming. They're careful about photosensitivity because uh, people on the autism spectrum are more photosensitive. So um, very much uh, we do get a uh, more introverted crowd and tends to be uh uh, have less friends and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I think that's a great honor. But uh, yeah, that is generally sort of the crowd. Generally more males than women, but certainly a lot of um, women as well.
1: Wow. Okay, so it really is some people that tend to be more introverted and more isolated. Um, mm-hmm. Do do you think that's beca- – are cartoons especially – appealing to people like that? Because I'm thinking of that documentary mm. movie I saw a while back mm. about this very severely autistic kid who really didn't communicate at all. And then mm. he started to communicate through Disney movies. Did, yeah. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? No, that sounds really good though. Oh my gosh, Josh.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. This is your, your, this will be your favorite movie that you've ever seen. Okay. Okay. It's called uh life, animated.
0: Life animated stuff. Let's write that down.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh I mean, and it's a great film. I mean it's a really popular movie. But so mm. at the beginning of this movie, the kid is like he goes he goes silent, right? And yeah. uh, and and then you know, at some point he just stopped talking and he goes really into a very deep autism. And, Hmm. uh, but in the end, his father just keeps working with him and trying to figure out. And, and, and eventually they figure out that he masters the remote control and he watches the little mermaid and Peter Pan and these Disney movies over and over again. Yeah, and eventually they figure out that if they say things to him, um, using like Jafar's voice, he'll <laughs> he'll answer, and yeah. and they find yeah. that that the movies are kind of a window into his world. Um, and it's, that's, it's really uh, deep stuff. Yeah, um, and so I found myself wondering, like, is there something about cartoons or something about animation? that sort of is is easier for an autistic person to watch because it's not it's not people and it's not faces yeah. of the kind that are scary to them
0: it's uh it's um not something i perhaps know the intellectual answer to but i can certainly say from experience uh, um cartoons can be our obsession whether we, there's no social interaction we know what's going to happen we um don't need to worry about eye contact or getting something wrong. And, uh, I mean, I grew up always uh, reciting these cartoons and, like, uh, uh, practicing the accents and the characters and modeling myself of the characters. And there's there's just something about animation where we can disconnect and not be on the autism spectrum for a time and not have to worry about the challenges, uh, the personal challenges that faces, which uh, is he- us, yeah. You know.
1: I'm just wondering like I think the emotional yeah. cues in a, in a cartoon are often very broad and easy to pick up like the, there's not a lot of subtlety. Mm.
0: Yes, very good point, very good point. And that's the thing is that I'll I'll often shed a tear at a Disney movie because I can I can really feel the emotion in it and I can actually connect within it. And there's very few times in my life in real life outside the movies nowadays where I actually can shed a tear and feel really emotional or really uplifted. And there's something about animation that just really deeply connects with a lot of people on the spectrum. And the some of the emotional answers I get from people in my comments on how this show affected them, it makes me feel like, you know, this really connects with them too. And at least maybe I'm doing something to do a little help to others, which is good.
1: And yet when I... When I was looking at your page, I, I then just yes. sort of Googled the name, and I found that not only are there people that are sort of making these lists and watching them, but then there are people mm. that are commenting on the people that are making the lists yeah. and watching them. <laughs> yeah. And that there's, not a of, very nice. there's a lot of there's a lot of negative. There there were people saying yeah. really hurtful things. Very much so. Do you yeah. are you smart enough that you just don't even look? You like you
0: don't even you don't look. <laughs> Oh, it's a matter of trying to take the same philosophy you teach to focus on the positive, you know, um, to, like, I know they're there, but if I look at them, you know, there's so much anger and negativity and just ferocity and knock people down. Like there's one called Lolcows where a group called Wiki Farms, not Wiki Farms, um, Kiwi Farms, which is like a stalker community, which has actually hunted one person down and stalk them to suicide it's and they specifically target people with what they call mental difficulties i mean i'm not specifically calling aspergers a mental illness i'm it's a different wiring i like to phrase it to my community because there's so many goods it brings as well as challenges but uh, yeah they they and there's a lot less serious ones where they're just saying you know i'm you know and autistic man child or whatever they want to call me. So really nasty stuff or just saying make terrible videos, which is fine. My videos aren't always great, but like this <laughs> for a specific audience, but, uh, well, I try my best, but I do make mistakes and, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of trying to focus on those people that do really appreciate what you make and saying, well, I'm somehow in the amazing position where I can make a living off this. Clearly some people are enjoying it, you know, so you just try and, and focus on doing good by those people.
1: Yeah. And and the I mean if I'm understanding the way you make a living is if enough
0: people mm. watch your video. Yeah. Then the YouTube people send you money. Uh basically um you get advertising revenue. So um try to get a b- bit off Patreon, but it's not really my primary source. Um and like uh so most of it comes from the fact that people will watch an ad and that might give me a 10th of a cent per view or something like that. And when that adds up to millions of views per month, you know, uh, that can, uh, basically turn into a living. Wow.
1: That whole ecosystem is so, hmm. is so far from my world. Um, and, you know, when I talk to Hank, you yeah. know, I talked to him, uh, you know, maybe once a year we'll have a, hmm. a conversation about something, um, hmm. not always on, usually not on the show, just a chat. And, uh, And at the end of the call, we always sort of look at each other and go like, wow, we are totally looking at at, through the opposite ends of the of the telescope. Mm. You know, I'm just so rooted in in person, face to face relationships um, and, and spend almost no time online. And he's just so oriented to content and he consumes it and he makes it and he and. It's just very different approaches, and 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 it sounds like you're like I know he has kind of a niche audience. I mean, your niche is even is even narrower.
0: It's it's even narrower. He hits a much more broad audience, and I absolutely love what he does. But it, it's able to hit a broader audience because they don't have to be invested in cartoons. They can be invested in science or learning about life and just yeah he's such a good message what he does you know yeah but uh, it was interesting I was looking at back at your podcast you did with him the other day just to try and get a little bit in the mindset for what we might talk about and it's so interesting seeing like you said such different uh, viewpoints but What I like uh, is that you both connect on just as I believe we connect on the same thing of wanting to get a positive message out to people and to encourage people and all coming from like a secular viewpoint on this. Oh, yeah. He's
1: got such a good
0: heart. He really does. And,
1: you know, when you see his relationship like with his brother Mm -hmm. and just the care he has in for the people that work with him. He's yeah, he's just a kindred spirit, and and I think, I'm, I mean, I'm when I started to see the work that you were doing, and I didn't realize who who your audience was, but when I saw sort of the tone of the messages that you were putting out, I just thought like, oh, I'm so glad that that guy's part of the humanized me gang. Like it makes me feel, you know, I feel like I, I'm proud that you're that you're part of our team, you know, part of our world because. I think what you are doing is important. Um, Thanks, man. All right, so listen. Somebody's going to be listening to this podcast, yeah, and they're going to be like, "Look, I am not a cartoon person, but <laughs> this guy's interesting to me, and so I want to watch one of his videos."
0: Yeah,
1: which video should they watch? Like, can you can you pick one out and you go like, if you are if you are only going to watch one Phantom Strider video, this is the one you should watch.
0: Ah, oh, it's a tough one. <laughs> well, some of the videos I'm most proud of are actually the ones where I talk about the darkest cartoons, which may sound like a funny topic, but it lets me go into things like uh, what some of the what you might talk about existentialism and why we're here and some of um, the way cartoons talk about this, whether it be Bojack Horseman or Rick and Morty. So darkest adult cartoon episodes was one I'm really proud of, but it's just well as something like, uh, Oh, one sec. Uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, one popular ones, uh, if you're into SpongeBob, I did the best and worst modern SpongeBob. I do a lot of Disney. Uh, um, if you're interested in religious cartoons and how religion uh uh, is talk to children in in cartoons and animation. I did worst religious animated movies and worst religious cartoons. So, uh, yeah, I, I think some of those might be fun uh, if, if a person's into that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, right. my well, listen isn't for everyone. <laughs> I,
1: I'm, I'm going to put some links on the on the show notes so sure. that people can, can go right there.
0: I appreciate
1: um, that. Yeah. You know, I just – I think – the other thing is when I was when I used to travel a lot as a speaker. Um, somebody I get stuck in a town on a weekend, and I would have nothing yeah. to do on the Saturday or the Sunday afternoon, and I would go look for random stuff, and <laughs> you know, in order just to get out of the hotel room. And so yeah. I remember going once to see radio-controlled dune buggy racing, <laughs> and then another time I went to see um, a a, a polka dancing convention um (laughs) that just happened to be being held in the convention center across street from my hotel and i went and i i sat and i watched polka dancing and i talked to polka dancers and then another time i went to a bingo parlor and and played bingo with a bunch of portuguese um senior citizens and in every case like you would get with people that had bizarre hobbies you know Mm -hmm. um that were into miniature horse raising or mm-hmm. you know some such thing and, and and no matter how esoteric or weird or offbeat the the thing was mm-hmm. what i found was is that people that get into anything in a big way there's a quality of connection and a quality of they they're just there's a sameness where i would say to the radio control people what do you really love about radio control dune buggies mm-hmm. and they would say well you know, you meet the nicest people here. I mean, I, really, the world's best people are into radio control and doom buggies. You know, one of us got sick a few years ago and and the other ones chipped in and they took care of them and we all brought them food and, you know, and, and if your car breaks down, everybody will help you fix it. And and then you get with the polka dancers and they go, like, oh, polka dancers, they're the most wonderful <laughs> people in the world. You know? And what you realize is, is that there's something, there's something beautiful about polka passion hmm. and almost the object of the passion isn't as important as the intensity of it Th- there's something beautiful about people that say this is something I love this is something I want to build these are this is an activity I want to get better at um, it brings out the best in people it really does and so and so on some level even if I'm not particularly into something when i meet somebody who is i always want to do at least a little bit of a dive into it because it's it's, it's a little bit like what Dostoevsky said or no tolstoy said where he said all happy families are the same but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own particular way yeah. um and i think sort of like all Groups of people that are passionate about something positive are the same. And sometimes I think it's worthwhile to dip your fingers into something that you have no interest in whatsoever, just to be reminded that, like underneath the thing, there's a bunch of people that are that are just like the people that are into your thing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the best is brought out in those people by them sharing that passion together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 gonna be watching some cartoon videos this weekend. Um, <laughs> thanks, Bob. And uh, I appreciate the recommendations. And if you run up against anything that you where th- yeah. you think like I need somebody who's like I need an outside opinion on this thing, you yeah. you 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 reach out to me because I'm 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 on I'm on your team too. Thanks,
0: man. You're on my team. I appreciate that. And thanks for talking with me. You bet, man. I'm going to bed now. Is this take, here? No worries, man. I'll catch you later.
1: All right, so that was it. That was me talking with Josh Strider. I hope you are encouraged. I am encouraged. There are good people out there. And there are cartoons out there. And you should probably watch one of Josh's videos just so that you know what he's talking about. Um, and we'll put some up in the show notes so if you go to bartcampola.org, if you go to humanize me podcast um dot .org you'll you'll find it um you know what else we'll put in the show notes is a little thing about fermi the fermi paradox including like this incredible math of planets and reasons to kind of think that there must be intelligent life springing up and maybe dying out elsewhere but i'm not I'm not going down there. I'm not going down there again instead i'm going to give you I'm going to leave you with an Ingersoll quote that I think is is apt for this show and Ingersoll Robert Ingersoll once said, "The greatest test of courage on earth is to bear defeat without losing heart. I know some of us know what he's talking about there, and as you know, I suspect that As we move forward on this planet, there are going to be a lot more people who have to bear defeat without losing heart. Indeed, I think a big part of our work in the world, of our ministry, if you will, is to equip people to not only not lose heart, but to hearten others. I think that's a lot of what we're supposed to do is go find defeated people and help them not lose heart or restore heart to them. To to help them to take heart, if you will. And you say, well, what does that mean? And I say, well, maybe that's what this show is really all about. Maybe that's just another way of saying it. That we are talking about how to help each other take heart. And live with hope. And live with love. And live with gratitude, no matter what, no matter what befalls us. Because I think some hard times are going to befall us. You know, I think that, but I also think it's worth it. I think it's worth it to be courageous and to encourage one another. And I'm going to leave you there. Yeah. Let's encourage somebody this week. Let's give courage to somebody. Let's help somebody take heart this week. Let's remind somebody that even in the midst of trouble, We always have some ability, some capacity to take responsibility for ourselves and to care about others. I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life. Oh